Hello, and welcome to the eighth episode of the Raw Podcast with me, your host, Christine Grace. Today, I have Jess Reynolds on the show. He is a doctor and teacher of traditional Chinese medicine who specializes in teaching therapists and other wellness professionals how to be the best overall therapist that they can be. He, along with his fiance, Brianne Hamper, created the Academy of Integrative Medicine, which is an online platform for high-quality continuing education to help build the skills needed to become a successful practitioner. He's also a good friend of mine who I absolutely love talking to. We sat down to discuss his journey to becoming his best self and how he structures his time to create the vision for his future that he meditates on daily. Jess is such an amazing educator, and this conversation gave me so many actionable tips and nuggets that I trust will help many of you on your journey to becoming your best selves. A quick little note, this conversation was recorded before I was introduced to Purium, and an amazing company that offers outstanding products that bring superfood nutrition and gut health supplements seamlessly into everyone's life. Since introducing their products in my life, I wake up feeling more rejuvenated and awesome in my body. For more information, check out the show notes, listen to the full overview at the end of the podcast, or check out episode six with Erica Kloster, where we do a complete deep dive onto all things Perium. Now, without further ado, meet Dr. Jess Reynolds. Hello, Jess. Welcome to the podcast. Why, thank you. It's good to be here. Super good to be here. And um, yeah, I feel like it's it's been a bit to get us both together to make this happen. So it just feels <laughs> yeah. extra special today. And um, yeah. yeah, anyway, when we were first kind of talking about the podcast, I mean, you and I can kind of talk about so many different things when we connect. And one of the first things that I didn't know about you was that um, you spent a whole year hitchhiking. And I think a lot of us when we're in our early 20s go through that exploration phase that you can chat about a little bit. But I want to just kind of, yeah, start there and let, let's hear a story of how you decided to go mm-hmm. off hitchhiking and whatever you want to tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, well, yeah, it was the early twenties. And, and like you said, most of us, we kind of get that idea. Like I want to go and be free and see the wild world and travel. And you know, that wonderlust is, is mm. in us. And it seems to be that when we are in our early twenties, it's, it's stronger, you know, I mean, for some people, the wanderlust never goes away, but, but it's certainly stronger at that era of life. Uh, so, so there I was in my early twenties, it was, it was 22 and I was working a job making decent money. And by that point in time, you know, I had already, I'd been to Australia. So I did a little bit of traveling and I, I had worked some very, very lucrative jobs. So I had, had, you know, done well for myself by then. So I knew what it felt like to have money, um, in my early twenties, not a millionaire, but didn't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And it just wasn't really fulfilling me at all. And, um, Growing up in a small town in northern Alberta, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, there wasn't a lot of direction other than you know read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then moving to Calgary, met some friends and started reading different books, you know, like like Jack Kerouac and Siddhartha and The Alchemist and these types of books, which to this day mostly are my favorite books. But so then I got this this idea, like, okay, I need to go and and see this world. I need to go and test it out. So I kind of made this decision uh, 
it was early December that I made the decision to go hitchhiking, which, you know, and and where we live early December, it's brutally cold. And uh, by the beginning of February, I, I had gotten rid of everything, all my stuff, you know, my truck, my, my bed, everything, everything was gone. I uh, gave up my house I was living in and gave away most things, sold what I could. And, uh, and yeah, I just, just hit the road. I had uh, 400 bucks in my pocket, uh, you know, and off I went. So being, by then it was the beginning of February, it was still just frigid cold. Uh, my main motivation wasn't adventure. It was warm. That was it. Just, just warm. And that's, uh, that's, that's really what it was, you know, is, is find, find somewhere warm. But it's, uh, it's fascinating because it's kind of like, like take this, this huge long story. And if I were to, to, boil it down to a basic idea is this, this whole idea was to go and, and, you know, find myself as we all like to do and, Mm -hmm. and have the space to, to meditate and have the space to, uh, to really go in. Uh, And, and doing it the way I did it was probably the worst way to do it. (laughs) It was horrible. Like, like, like I would love to say, Oh, it was such a beautiful, and I learned a lot of things, but if I could go back in time and say like, Hey Jess, you should probably just not do that. I I think I might. Uh, I mean, you know, the whole butterfly effect game, it's hard to say, but, but really, you know, it was, it was just like, like the amount of time I spent actually being able to go within and, and be insightful and read books was like minimal. The vast majority of the time was just surviving, you know? So we romanticize this idea of being on the road and having nobody to answer to and just you and your backpack and just, it seems so amazing. And then you actually do it. And suddenly you realize like, like all you do day by day is figure out where to sleep, where to eat and trying to see who's going to cause you harm. That's it. You know, now don't get me wrong. I have plenty of amazing little stories that occurred within that year, but, but by and large, it was, it was struggling. It was suffering, mm-hmm. which was in and of itself, a huge, huge lesson. So interesting. So did you, um, so growing up in a small town, like I grew up in Calgary, so I grew up in a big city, um, bigger city. It's not a big city, but anyway, um, did you feel like you had struggled a lot as a kid or was there kind of like, was that something you feel like had missed? Yeah, it's it's interesting because no, there wasn't this idea of struggling a lot um, because like where I grew up, there was not that much of a difference between, you know, middle class and, and, and lower middle class and poor. I mean, there were, there were no millionaires. Millionaires just simply wouldn't be living in a town like that, you know, right. like like I was on a farm outside of the town. So the, the, the rich folks would be like maybe upper middle class, middle class. So, so there wasn't this idea necessarily of, I don't have enough and things aren't as good as they could be. Um, you know, there's still the want because mm-hmm. there's still your friends who like, I, I grew up quite, quite poor, you know, like we, we didn't have enough money to, to put me into any sports teams or, you know, your typical story of Salvation Army clothes and hand-me-downs and stuff like that. So there was certainly a component of that, but, but not a lot. It wasn't a big influencing factor. No. Hmm. Hmm. So then hmm. uh, it's, I love that you touched on that idea of romanticizing 
um, hitchhiking because I think like when you first told me about that, I hear hitchhiking, like my brain was like, oh my God, that sounds so amazing. And somewhat as a woman, that's not really something I ever would have considered. There's just like a few extra risk risk factors. Um, I did a little bit of hitchhiking, uh, Onto, when I was living in Tofino, just like back and forth from the city or from the town. Um, but what would, what would you say was, like you said, it was mainly just survival. Like you were just yeah. trying to get from one place to the next type thing or like how, how did you decide? So you left your small town and like you went where? Yeah. Well, well, I, I went from the small town to Calgary and then okay. I spent, you know, four-ish years, five, four years in Calgary, just working. Okay. And then from there it was Calgary gone. And, and the, the direction I went was whatever car I got in. Like I didn't have a destination in mind. It was, I get in a car, where are you going? Not North. Perfect. I'm in uh, that. I, I don't care. And, and, and so there was no specific destination of mine. It was just not here, right. which, which, just, just saying that kind of gives you some some insight into my motivation. Like it, it wasn't a good mental state I was in. It was it was half I want to learn more and half I want to get away. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and yeah, and, and that's 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 the romantic aspect of it. Is you got this idea like you're going to have this this ability to get away to go somewhere amazing and and no, when when you are well doing that, it's 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 hard. It's just hard work. Mm-hmm. It's harder work than my full-time job ever was, you know? Interesting. And like that idea of like, I want to be anywhere, but here I know like when I went traveling, no matter what there, there I was. So I wanted to be anywhere, but here, but no matter what I was with myself and like, <laughs> right. I wanted what was really happening. And it's like a hard thing to say is like, you kind of want to get away from yourself. Cause you're just like, at least I did. I'll just own that. I wanted to get away from myself when what I think traveling kind of eventually teaches you or teaches me was how to be with myself. So did you find that over time or, or because of the survival aspect and that lack of ability to, to do maybe some of the introspection that you wanted, how how did that work out for you? Yeah. at At the time, no. Like, okay. like there, there was a few pockets, like we could get into it, but there was one pocket where I ended up living in this, this monastery in the mountains in California for like a month and a half. So that was a pocket in which there was a lot of introspection and mm-hmm. like there was these little pockets, but by and large, the lessons in introspection came the following years, you know, it would be mm-hmm. reflecting on, you know, there, there would be these, these long durations of time where, where, you know, there was there was zero authenticity in who I was because it was trying to play the part so I could get from A to B. You know, mm. like it's 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 yeah yeah. There 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 wasn't a lot of introspection and, and building while it was happening, but mm-hmm. fuel for years of insight afterwards. Like I still sometimes I'll be like, oh wow, yeah, that was that's right. I get that lesson now. I get it. Mm. being what 13 13 ish years later i'm still picking out little little morsels from that experience but right. at the time no no <laughs> so do you want to tell us about maybe one of the more interesting people you met or one of the more interesting experiences that you went through that yeah. really like stands out yeah 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 you say interesting people and and it's like this this slew of of individuals <laughs> come to mind but uh but no there's one in particular but it's there's a backstory to this. Okay. So we, we got to kind of take a f- couple steps back before we, we meet, we meet rooster, right? Okay, that was cool. 
So, um, so I was in, I was in Arizona and I, I had made it down there relatively quickly. It only took me about a month and a half to make it down there. So it's still relatively cold. Right. And I'm at the Grand Canyon and, and damn it, if it doesn't snow, right? Like all I want to do is escape winter and it snows <laughs> in the Grand Canyon. I'm like, come on, what is this? So, um, so I pack up my stuff and I hitchhike my way down to Phoenix. Now, now I know damn well that you don't hitchhike in cities. Like mm-hmm. y- you learn that real quick, right? So um, the ride I had dropped me off kind of like, like at the crossroads of, you know, most cities that kind of got like your Northwest East South highways that kind of going on. So I kind of get dropped off relatively in one of these regions. And I'm like, well, I don't know which way to go. So I guess I will go West. So I just start walking West and it was about 9am and I'm just walking along this, this road. And I know it's going to take me all damn day to get outside of the city, but it's not like I'm on a schedule. So I'm walking, walking, and walking, and sipping my water. I've got, you know, my one liter Nalgene, and I'm sipping on it, and it's getting hot. So take a couple breaks in the shade, but I finally get to the edge of the city um, with, I think it was probably eight o'clock at night. You know, the sun was setting-ish, kind of getting twilighty, and uh, and it's 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 different. You know, like in, in Calgary, you've got you know your city, and then space, and then a town. And then space, but you know, in the states, it's not quite the same. It's like a city, and then the towns merge into the city, so it's like this huge area. So it takes forever to get out. Anyways, I finally get to the point where I see desert, like I see open road, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sleep somewhere in the ditch, fine, and then I'll get a ride tomorrow morning, perfect. And I'm just, just getting to the edge, and I hear these sirens behind me, right? And uh, you know, so so the cop comes out of his car and. At first, I'm like, okay, he's probably just kind of checking in on me, seeing what's going on. Because it wasn't the first time I'd been approached by a cop, right? But he comes out and he's got his hand on on his uh, on his hip, right? Now, I don't know if his, I'm assuming his hand was on a taser, but it was definitely in this like, you know, I'm I'm ready, just mm-hmm. pull a move. So he's he comes out and in a pretty loud voice, he's like, "Put your bag on the ground." And I'm like, okay. So I put my bag on the ground. And this is empty your pockets. So I do, I empty my pockets and, and I've got my, my chapstick, of course, got to have your chapstick in, in one hand and like, like whatever, some change. And in the other hand, I've got my pocket knife, you know, like a little tiny four inch blade pocket knife. Sure enough, he takes out this taser and he starts like screaming, put the weapon on the ground. And I'm like, what weapon are you talking about? Right? Like, like I have no idea what's going on. So hands go up in the air. And uh, then he comes and he grabs me and he slams me against the car, cuffs me. And at this point in time, I'm really starting to panic because it just so happened to be, uh, it wasn't that long before I was in Arizona that a new law was passed that you could basically arrest illegal immigrants and you, you don't have to contact anybody. You could just arrest them and hold them for three months, right? And on top of that, I also know, and I was acutely aware of this the whole time, that if just there so happened to be somebody who had, you know, like, like a guy who's five foot 10 blonde green eyes who had you know, committed a crime, I'm him. Right. So this is what's going through my mind He's like, Oh no, this is it. This is it game over. Right. So he grabs my stuff and he puts it in the trunk of his car and I'm really starting to get worked up now. And you know, the tears are coming and I'm starting to shake and puts me in the back of the car and, and, um, and then I start to play the game, like, 
you know, just he's just going to put you in the tank. That's it. He's just going to put you in the drunk tank and you're just going to have a, a relatively safe place. To, I'm trying to play all these games with myself. Mm-hmm. And then he starts driving and, and he drives past the, the next kind of overpass where he would turn around to go back into Phoenix and he drives. And then he keeps driving and then he keeps driving. And then he takes a turn down a gravel road and he drives about another 20 minutes down this gravel road. And at this point in time, I'm, I, I, I like, you don't even think anything but fear. Like mm-hmm. you can't do anything. You can't go anywhere. And so there we are in the middle of the desert. It's dark now. And, uh, and he takes me onto the car and he, uh, he beats the hell out of me. Just, just horribly, horribly. Like had a cracked rib afterwards. It was horrible. And Last thing he says is, uh, think something like think better before you come to my, my town or something like that. Some macho, whatever takes the cuffs off, gets in his car and peels off. So there I am. It's the middle of the night. Now I'm busted up. I'm bloody. I have, you know, maybe, maybe a cup of water left, right? 250 mil, like nothing. And, uh, and I look up and I see the stars, right? And there's, there's Orion kind of leaning a bit too far to the left. And I'm like, oh God, I'm far from home. And that, that was, that was kind of the, the give up moment, right? The mm-hmm. like, okay, I guess, I guess this is it. Like how, how stupid was I thinking that this was going to be this soul enriching, enlightening adventure here I am, you know, not even two months in and it's not just game over for the trip. It's game over for the life, right? Like, and uh and somehow i kind of make it through the night slept on and off and i wake up in the morning and there i am still alive i'm like okay well i guess i'm still here i might as well keep going so i i get up and i go back to the gravel road and i i start walking towards the highway and um, you know it was early you know, like, I don't know, before sunrise, who knows what time it was. So I'm walking, 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 walking for what seems like forever. A truck passes, kind of like looks at me side eye, like what the hell are you doing? Right. Whatever. Another truck passes. Well, it wasn't a truck. It was, it was a Lincoln SUV. I remember it. <laughs> I remember it vividly. And in Lincoln SUV and he stops and he rolls down the window and he looks, he says, it looks like he could use some help. And I'm like, yeah, I really could. So I, I, I do one of the more stupid things you can do next because I'm not thinking, right? When you hitchhike and you know the rules, like your bag comes with you in the front seat, you need to bail, you grab your bag and you bail, right? But I don't, I put my bag in the back seat, I hop in, he starts driving, clunk, down goes the lock. Immediately he reaches over and he starts rubbing my leg and his hand is getting higher and higher. And he's like, oh, you're a dirty boy. These types of things. I'm not kidding, right? Like every time I tell this story, people are like, you're making this up. No, no, this is actually what happened. So he's rubbing my leg and he's like, we're going to, you're going to come to my house. I'll bring you home and we'll clean you up. And, you know, he's doing like that licking his chops thing. And I'm like, dear God, what is happening? Like what world did I stumble into that? This is, this is my current reality. Right. So we drive and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. I'm not fighting it. I'm not trying to get out. I'm not screaming. I'm not telling him to let me go. Cause I don't got an ounce of energy in me. Right. Like breathing hurts cause my ribs. So eventually he, uh, he gets to his, his place and 
this was shortly after the housing market crash, right? So there's so many houses in foreclosure all over the place. So he pulls into this neighborhood and it's like 90% of the houses are in foreclosure. Nobody's living there, you know? So he pulls in basically abandoned place and closes the garage, unlocks the door, goes in the house. And, uh, and at this point in time, I'm not playing along, but I'm like, yeah, you know, like I really could use a shower. Right. And he's like, okay. So uh, he goes to the right. And I look to the left and there's a patio door. So I book it. I just run like as fast as I can. Hey, eh? I get out this, this, uh, this patio door and there's a gate, but I'm an idiot. So I try and jump the fence with a 50 pound backpack on my back and a cracked rib. And I'm climbing over this fence and land on the other side and I run. I get away. I get away. Thank God. Right. Um, I kind of go through the desert, eventually make my way back to the road and Hours later, stumbling, like dehydrated, busted up, I make it to a, a Love's truck stop, just regular old truck stop, right? Go in, go into the bathroom, clean myself up a little bit. Uh, the, the cashier guy, he comes in and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, uh, no, you have any water? And he's like, yeah. So he gives me some water. And he's like, I, 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 I don't want to kick you out, but sorry, man, if you're not going to buy things, you, you can't, you can't stay in the store, you know, but sorry. So whatever, you know, clean myself up, grab my bottle of water, go sit outside and like, might, might as well keep going. So I go to the highway, thumb out, there I am standing. And then this old decrepit truck pulls up like this big semi, you know, I, I don't know what the hell he was hauling, but it was. It was the, the oldest, ricketyest look at Sammy I think I'd ever seen. Pulls over, says, hop in. I hop in. And that's where everything turned around. That was like the pivotal moment. I jump in this truck and there's this shirtless dude. He's all, he's all wire. Eh? He's just sinew and wire. And he's got this huge tattoo on his chest of a rooster. He's got a cowboy hat, cigarette hanging out of his mouth, you know, just dark tan skin. And he says, hey, I'm rooster. And you're a youngster. And he didn't even ask my name. He just says, and you're a youngster. That's it. Like, he doesn't care. And he's like, well, where are you headed? And I'm like, anywhere. He's like, okay. So start driving. He's, uh, he's sipping on this little little pink fluid. And I'm like, what do you got there? He's like, uh, methadone. I'm just trying to kick the heroin. And I'm like, oh, okay. Good for you. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> poor Rooster. Rooster didn't have a penny to his name. Like, he was picking up odd gigs here and there. But he was... He was poor, poor, right? And uh, and the guy takes me in, brings me to his his place, which was an old busted down uh, trailer uh, outside of a junkyard. And and I, I spend like a week and a half, two weeks, I think, just there healing. And the dude takes care of me. This this, this guy, he's got nothing. He doesn't have a penny to him, right? He's living on food stamps. And he's doing everything he can to feed me and kind of help me get back to health and He's just like, God, he was just all love and compassion. And you, you, of course, you never expect it, right? Mm -hmm. Even offered to pay me. He's like, help me work around this place and I'll pay you. You know, like, like no, of course, but I'll, you know, whatever. They, they call him Rooster because he does cockfighting. That's what he does. He was in Yuma. So like, I'm heading down to Mexico for the weekend and do some cockfighting. You want to come? I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't, I don't think I want to venture into another foreign country. I'll just hang out here and. Yeah. So that was it. So Rooster's the guy. You asked me that question, like who comes mm -hmm. to mind and it's Rooster, right? Cause it's this guy who, who's got nothing. And, and he's like, like the example of the person you hope you meet in these adventures. Mm. 
uh, who's, who's, you know, addicted to heroin. And, you know, every night he would smoke like three joints and just be out of his mind and, you know, drink, drink a bunch of whiskey and vice after vice, but a heart on a man, like he would do anything he could to help. And, and that's the guy, that's the guy. When I think of that person, it's rooster. It's like, that's, mm. that's somebody to look up to. Right. It's so interesting because like you, you mentioned the the Lincoln, the Lincoln truck that was like a guy basically taking advantage, like like thinking like, oh, I'm going to get what I want kind of scenario. And then the beat up old truck with the with the other soul who's felt pain, who's the one who actually knows what or can can relate probably to what you're going through, knows how to take care of you. And like. I think when people romanticize hitchhiking, they like want to get picked up by like that Lincoln truck. Who's like going to be the rich person who like helps them. But it's like, that's not, that's not going to be the person who helps us. It's the people who have been through pain and the people who understand, who understand that, that are the ones who can, who know how to show up. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think about him often? Like, does, does he ever come to mind? Like, you know, sometimes not as often as before, right? It's yeah. it's turning into one of those more distant memories that that yeah. era. Uh, so no, certainly not as often, but um, but there's aspects of that encounter that that certainly changed the person that I am. I mean, mm. not only the experience of of you know nearly dying and and all of those things, but the experience of meeting somebody who who has nothing and will give everything is it that that that's more i suppose the thing that carried on than the actual memory of the individual it's the lessons yeah. that I, I got from him yeah was so with the cop encounter um was that your only one or did you have quite a few cop encounters during this year that was the only bad one only bad, that one. Was the only okay. bad one yeah yeah there i mean i had another cop who who picked me up drove me to the edge of town gave me 20 bucks and was mm. like happy to help, you know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I certainly don't want to paint a picture like, you know, fuck the police, any t- anything mm-hmm. like that. It just so happened to be, I got a bad one, but yeah. you know, certainly many, many more good ones than bad as far as encounters with cops go. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I'm glad that you brought that, uh, w- brought that into play because there's bad people in every profession. Yeah. There's bad people yeah. period, you know, um, it's super mm-hmm. unfortunate that happened to you with the, with the cop, but then you met rooster. Like it's that's like yeah. life kind of goes like that. Right. Like it's like, it's a weird sequence yeah. of events when you were there on the side of the road, like, did you have camp camping stuff? Is that kind of how you were looking after yourself? Um, yeah. were, was it, did it go through your mind? Like, like that period of like, Oh, this is it. Like I'm going to give up. And like, when you woke up, like, were you genuinely surprised that yeah. you were still alive? Yeah. 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 I was, I was, I was pretty, pretty convinced that was it. I was, I was wow. pretty sure of it, you know? Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's an experience in and of itself, but, but no, that, that morning. It, and, and the thing is, is that surprise isn't like a, yay, I'm alive. It's more right. of like a, all oh. right. So I guess I'm not dead, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well now I have to deal with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah, I could, I, I, yeah, I can imagine what that would feel yeah. like. Um, so then you did allude to at the beginning of the podcast, the kind of inner work that I guess worked came after, like, like you had your probably year of adventure and did you go all over the States? Like what, what was kind of your quick trajectory of where you went? 
Super quick. It was it was basically straight down through um, through Montana, right? A little bit of Idaho, Arizona, basically right down to Mexico, and then over to California, and then up the West Coast. I had much more intentions to to continue the trip, but my dad got sick at some point, so I beelined it home. Gotcha. But that was it. Just a nice nice little loop in in the Western states. And that would have been. It's kind of interesting because it's that's exactly how it goes that when you're in the adventure mode, there's not so much processing. Like it's like, hey, just surviving, getting to the next thing. And then I imagine you had some time of kind of integrate in integrating, integrating that that whole year of experiences. But then I guess you mentioned your dad got sick. So then that maybe mm-hmm. was its own set of challenges. Yeah. 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 Fortunately, it wasn't big. I mean, okay. when I say sick, I, I should be more specific. He, uh, he he was a carpenter and he fell off a roof and, you know, busted himself up quite dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just needed to go take care of him. Like, I, I felt like, well, what am I doing here? You know, he's he's on a farm alone. Can't can't stand. And here I am just bumming out. I'm going to go help him. Yeah. So went up there, spent a couple months with him, you know, whatever. And then mm-hmm. uh, and then back to back to the city. Hmm. So do you have an idea of like a, like, I think for me anyway, like when I think back on like introspection and, and certain aspects of my life, there's like some key things that I kind of learned about myself. Do you have any kind of key when you were integrating that experience, when you're going through the more introspective pieces, was there any stand out things that you wanted to share with us that you think would be a value? Yeah. Your people, your, mm. your family, your friends, your tribe, your community, whatever, whatever word mm. you want to use for it. That's, that's like, that's everything. It's everything, mm. you know, um, when, whenever things were really shitty and hard, it's, that was the thing that was going through my mind. Like, even when it was hunger that I was dealing with, sure. There was, you know, where, where am I going to find food? But it was also, I really miss, you know, the burgers my friend makes. Like yeah. that, that's the thing I think about, or I'm, my God, I miss my mom's cooking. So yeah, you're thinking about the food, but you're, you're more thinking about the person attached to it. And, mm-hmm. and, and that, that's, that's what I found is, is the introspection, the growth didn't come until I had that, that community support again, until I was around people that loved me and cared about me and, and were there for me to help me sort through the difficult uh, situations and, and ideas and thoughts. So that would be it is, man, if you, if you got your, your people close to you, hold on to them and mm-hmm. you might need a break and go, go take a little trip here and there, but that's everything. That's everything. Man. I, I completely agree about that. It's like, we have to leave home to realize what we have at home to realize like the joys and the companionship and the safety, you know, I mean, I'm sure you felt completely unsafe for a lot of that adventure. And so you, you probably couldn't process anything until you're actually in a place of safety and comfort and love and all of the things like that. That's, that's really neat. Have you done more mm-hmm. travel since then? Uh, not the same type of travel. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, you know, been to Asia a few times since then and, uh, you know, bummed around here and there, but that was, I mean, I did, I did a, a van life adventure for a while, but (laughs) that was, yeah, that was something (laughs) different story, different time, but it didn't last very long anyways. So fair enough. I did the van life for about three months and 
it's yeah, I can relate. It's fun, but it's yeah. like, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then was it after that, that you went into like TCM school, uh, traditional Chinese yeah. medicine school and stuff? Is that kind of the trajectory that you took? Yeah, pretty much bang, bang on. Like I got back to the city and, um, and you know, just like, okay, what now? What now? I've done this thing. I certainly don't want to do it again. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful to be around my friends and family again, but I don't want to go back to what I was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the question was, well, what exactly do I want to do? And, and I met so many amazing people in every different walk of life you can imagine. So what I started to think about was, was not exactly what I wanted to do. It's like, out of all the people I met, who, who had the nicest vibe, like mm. who felt like their life was the life I want? Again, mm. not the career specifically. And it turned out that it was, uh, it was these, these two monks I met, Echo and Lotus. And yeah, they were, they were monks, but I didn't want the monk life, mm-hmm. but they were also healers. They were, they were uh, acupuncturists. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's a place to start. And and I look around Calgary and sure enough, there's there's three colleges here for acupuncture in the city. Mm-hmm. I throw in an application, I go to one. Um, and then like, I don't know, maybe three, two weeks, two weeks, I think after I put the application and I started school, that was it. Just wow. like made the decision and start. And that was the next four years of my life is uh, training to be a doctor of Chinese medicine. And was it mainly for the acupuncture? Because I know like, like that's usually why some people get into it. And then you have to learn generally the whole thing of Chinese medicine. Like I don't, it, are there schools that just teach you acupuncture? No, no, not as an acupuncturist. Like if you're okay. a physiotherapist or a chiro, for example, then you can learn just how to do needling. But if you go to school for acupuncture, then you take the, the whole program of Chinese medicine and herbs and all of that. Yeah. Do you use it all or are you pretty much now just an acupuncturist? Yeah, I, I do it all still. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. I love, I love that you said that though, that it wasn't like when you were trying, you were deciding like what you wanted your life to look like. It wasn't like, what do I want? It's like, who do I want to be? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's so neat. And I was quite unique amongst, amongst my, my peers when I was in school is, is when, whenever you start kind of a post-secondary thing in a private college. I'm not sure. It might be the same when you go to university, but I seriously doubt it because of the, the class sizes. Because they're always small class sizes. It always starts like, you know, everybody stand up, say your name, you know, like, why Why are you interested in acupuncture? And 95% of the people are, you know, I'm sick and I want to heal. My mm-hmm. family is sick and I want to heal them. Or I was sick and had this amazing experience with acupuncture and Chinese medicine. And now it's my passion, right? Like that's, that's usually what people mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might get the rare person who's like, well, because that's what my family does. You know, mm-hmm. I, my, I come from a long line of Chinese doctors and I'm going to continue to to follow that path. That's the majority of it. And then you get somebody like myself. It's like, you know what? I've actually never had acupuncture. Like, <laughs> I, I'm just here because I met some really cool acupuncturists when I was, uh, you know, gallivanting. I liked their vibe. I liked, you know, the type of people they were. And I liked the the environment they created. I liked the people they surrounded themselves with. So I'm after that emotional experience, really, you know. Mm. Uh, so it was, it was very unique. Not many people choose a career based on on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really, that's so interesting. And was it, did you ever question it? Like once you were in it, was it ever like, holy crap, why did I choose this? Or it just fit? 
Yeah, no, no, I definitely question it to this day. Right. No, no question. Yeah. And all along I did, because prior to that, I was, I was a tradesman, right? And, and well, well, I have more love and respect for tradesmen than almost any other form of, of uh, occupation is it's a totally different set of skills, right? So there I am learning about like cellular anatomy and, and learning about how chi and meridians work. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Just put a hammer in my hand, please make life <laughs> easy again. So I questioned it because it was so far left field. But then I also questioned, it's like, is this really what I want to be doing? Is this really what I want to invest my life in doing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that you still kind of contemplate that, like what, what about it? What, what hasn't fully settled in, I guess, for you? Like why? Yeah. Yeah. I think the big thing is, is, is when, as I continued to study, I, I kind of convinced myself the reason I was doing it, you know, it shifted from my original idea to, uh, I needed an excuse to keep doing it. And mm. it was like, well, my, my sister's unhealthy and my dad's unhealthy. And, you know, my stepdad's a tradesman and shoulders are blown. And, you know, so I kind of like adopted other people's mentality. I'm doing this to help my family. Right. Mm. And, uh, and so I came up with this, this, this reason. And then I, I graduated and started practicing and all, all I saw and largely what I see still is people who are sick and in pain mm -hmm. and they're hurting and suffering and I help get them well. Mm -hmm. And and here's where the, the, the contemplation and the, the mental, I suppose, not resistance necessarily, but the, the questioning of it comes in is when I, when I think about doing that, it's, it's fulfilling and I enjoy it. But then on occasion, I get people to come and see me who are healthy, they're fit, they're fine. And they're like, hey, listen, I'm here to the next level. I'm here to level up. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not battling a chronic disease or I'm not dealing with excruciating pain. I just want to be the best possible version of myself I can. It's just like every switch in me turns on and I'm like, mm -hmm. yes, this is what I want. This is what I want to do, right? So so that's what I mean is when, when it's the practice of acupuncture in Chinese medicine, is it really... Well, there, there's the typical model and it's restorative. Like mm -hmm. people come to you like a broken car and they're like, fix me up, give me a paint job and, and, you know, restore me to my former, former state of well-being. And, and it turns out that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm more interested in this transformative model, right? It's like, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm this lead. I'm this, this like amalgam of, of raw materials let's transform into something precious. Right. Hmm. So, so that's it. It's, it's just kind of this, the typical way of practicing Chinese medicine and acupuncture just doesn't speak to me as highly as where I'm finding myself moving. That's cool. I, I really like how you said that, that you're more drawn to, to not just like getting back to baseline, but how can we make our baseline be like the highest possible expression of self that it can be kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Like, so is that kind of the people you have started maybe attracting to yourself or is that what you're working towards attracting to yourself? A little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. I may mean, stop my, my, my client base uh, yeah. and I still see my patients, uh, of course. Yeah. Um, but as I've sort of switched and, and, tune into that, you know, like, like we, we attract what we think about, of course. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and once I've, I've really acknowledged that within myself, that, that that's, that's who I want to work with and that's who I want to help. Then naturally I've attracted more to that, right. but I would like that to be 
almost exclusively what I do. So I'm also still building it. Cool. Cool. And you also have your um, Academy of Integrative Medicine online with a, I think you have four courses currently with, I know you're working on some other ones. Yep. And I know that that's not necessarily as much of a passion for you, but it is a way to kind of teach other people um, the skills necessary to kind of like help heal themselves or heal other people. Um, What got you into wanting just online courses and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So what I, what I ended up finding is, is I've, I've taught now in, in a few different colleges Mm -hmm. uh, for, for massage therapy, acupuncture, Chinese medicine. And, and I really enjoy the process, but, but so much of what you have to teach is to the exam, right? Mm. Is, is with acupuncture and Chinese medicine, there's a national exam and you have to pass the national exam in order to be able to practice acupuncture. So ultimately the student's primary care is passing the exam. And one thing that you have to do as a successful college is have higher pass rates, right? Without lowering your standards. That's a key distinction, right? Mm. So you need to teach in such a way that students pass an exam, which is fine because in order to, for them to pass the exam, they really have to know their stuff. But I realized there's a lot of things lacking in that, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you don't actually know what it's going to be like. You get out into the real world and suddenly it's like, hold on. Like I just spent a year learning about the complex issues of internal medicine and 90% of what I see is low back pain you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. Or, or one thing I'm, I'm really passionate about, I teach a lot about it's okay. I know all of these, these things, these herbs, these points, these, these massage, massage techniques to fix a problem when they're on my table, but then they come back next week and they're still in the exact same state. Right. So we don't teach about home care and goal setting and motivation and, and how to actually create positive change. So that's really what Academy of Integrative Medicine is more about, right? Mm-hmm. Is continuing education for skills you need to be a successful practitioner beyond just here's how you do this new, fresh, latest technique. And that's what so much continuing it is. It's, right. hey, there's this great, new, exciting technique. Let's learn that. I'm more like, yeah, you got the techniques. You learn them in school. Here's how we make a positive change now. So more like coaching your clients or coaching people how to coach other people how to transform. Yeah. 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 And that's it is it's, it's exactly it. It's, it's coaching without using the word coaching, right? right? Cause the, <laughs> the idea of being word. a life coach. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's got a lot of, a lot of baggage behind it. So, mm-hmm. so it's like, how do you, how do you actually use these skills of motivational interviewing and, and um, communicating in, in a more, uh, I guess, healthy directing way um, to to create more effective long-term change, as well as I certainly do teach specific techniques, but largely the focus is on, on that. Yeah. Cool. That's so yeah. awesome. And, and that's, that's what I know. So that's basically what you want to move into is like doing that kind of work for like teaching other people like you kind of thing, how to do that mm-hmm. or, as well as working with clients or yeah. 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 I, I like to do both. Like, like that's, yeah. that's one thing I, I do with individuals is, is those who come now, the, the increasing numbers who are coming for more of the, the life coaching type experience are, yeah. are getting more like a, okay, well there's underlying imbalances, right? Because that's, that's the transformative model of acupuncture. It's not just, okay, let's teach you how to goal set. It's, there's something 
energetically speaking or something uh, biomechanically speaking that's preventing this from happening. So let's make sure we address your physical body. Let's make sure we address mm -hmm. your nutrition, right? Let's do the medicine part of it. And then let's do the, the sort of coaching part of it. So that's the individual. And then for the groups, yes, it's very much uh, sneaking the life coaching skills into working with their clients. Gotcha. And have you always been a relatively healthy person or did you have to go through like a certain healing journey for yourself? Um, mostly, mostly healthy. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, I've had some, some health issues in the past, certainly, but nothing, nothing that I'd say would be a mountain to climb like mm -hmm. some, mm -hmm. um, the biggest things are, are very, very serious injuries, um, okay. which that's different than sort of the internal medicine, chronic issues that I yeah. end up seeing more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So then being somebody who's stayed relatively healthy, most of your life, you kind of have a decent idea of how to, how to help somebody become relatively healthy, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. That was a heck of a journey, right? Okay. Cause I'd work with these people who, who were, were very, very sick and unwell and, and being somebody who's like relatively healthy, I'm like, okay, well, here's, here's the things you got to do. You just got to do these healthy behavioral things. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the first while I was like, why, why are people until I started working, you know, with, with patients for one, two, three years, you know, and then my, my sister, uh, she has chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, that sort of combo and seeing her and, and working with her over the last decade now and seeing like, okay, working with chronic disease and chronic illness, it's not the same. It's mm -hmm. not the same as taking a healthy person. So it's, it's like, you have to develop a totally different set of skills with working with somebody who's below that healthy bar than mm -hmm. you do with somebody who's above that healthy bar. It's, mm -hmm. it's a different game altogether. Yeah. And I, and I do think sometimes we like to think of it, it just comes down to like habits or the way that you're dealing with life. But when you're dealing with a chronic, chronic thing, like sometimes that's all the person can think about for, yeah. for their entire day. Like, it's not like, Hey, I need to create more habits. It's like, Hey, how do I survive today? Totally. Totally. That's it is, is like, like when we talk about motivation, goal setting, life change, positive thinking, it's, it's so much about just change your daily habit. Right. Mm -hmm. So I really like how you said that and brought that up, but almost every chronic patient that I work with, those who are dealing with very serious uh, autoimmune conditions or mm -hmm. chronic fatigue type things is it has, it has nothing to do with, with a habit. It has everything to do with like step one, get out of bed. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, sure, we could technically call that a habit, but it's like, where, how do we even talk about a habit of healthy change when we're not even at the point where you can make yourself breakfast without needing to go rest for three hours, right? right. So there's, there's huge hurdles to overcome before we even get into the basic concept of, of using habits for change. Yeah. Yeah, man, I can... Huh. It's such a hard place to be when people have a chronic, a chronic, a chronic thing. Um, and I don't really want to get into how you would work with them. I think that's yeah. that could potentially be a different podcast. But um, I'm just going to switch into a little bit being um, for you, because you're somebody who you took TCM, you used mm -hmm. to be a laborer, you are making online courses, you teach in a college, like you're somebody who, would, and you have patients on top of all of that, right? And so you're somebody who, at least to from the outside observer point of view, seems to be very productive, very busy, very um, scheduled maybe, but I, I don't even know if that's the correct way to do it. Is that a way you've always been or have you developed skills to get yourself there? 
little of column A, little of column B. Okay. Um, I mean, part of me wants to, to kind of veer down this, like, you need to understand your personality before you can get yes. into your strengths realm, right? Yeah. And, and what I'll say with that is, is part of it is, yes, part of my personality is I like, I like structure, I like schedules, but I also like, um, I, I like, I like things to be just so, uh, and I like to be productive, right? So that's just part of my personality. I mm-hmm. enjoy those things. I find them very fulfilling. So there's that, but then it's a skill. It's, it's a skill that somebody learns, right? You don't, you might have that, uh, capacity and that character in you that you find that way of being uh, mm-hmm. personally gratifying, but you still don't have the skills to do so. So both, both. It's something that I, I naturally have, but also worked at a lot. So is that, we'll just like hover on the personality for a sec. Was that something you always knew about yourself? Is that something you had to discover about yourself? Like how did you go about figuring out if you are somebody who needs a schedule not needs a schedule, that kind of thing? Yeah, it was something I, I kind of figured out after looking at at the years of my life, right? Okay. Like a year would pass and I'd be like, I know I did a lot of things, but I don't know what I did, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of kind of looking at at the fact that I, I I'm capable. I know I'm capable, and yet I'm not where I know I could be, right? Mm-hmm. So then I look back and go, Well, what's missing here? Mm-hmm. There's obviously something I'm missing. So that that would be it, is is retrospectively evaluating the years of my life and saying, if I could go back and turn those years into uh, more productive years, what would I do? Mm-hmm. I feel like you just literally labeled where I'm at in my life in this current moment. <laughs> so that's hilarious. <laughs> Cause it like, I'm somebody who I have like a lot of, I'm already, I always like working on something. I'm always like a project person. I don't like spend a lot of time watching TV or like wasting too much time, I would say. But when I look at like how much I can get done sometimes in a week, I'm like, I feel like I should be able to do more and I don't know how. Mm. Um, And I'm starting to understand that I'm somebody who needs a little bit more structure, but too much structure. And I get really like, it creates like excessive amounts of resistance if I'm too structured. Like there's, I need to find, I'm, I'm learning for myself anyway. I have to find a fine balance of structure and fluidity within that structure. So mm-hmm. um, I'm curious what you have found for yourself that works. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to go there. And then I would also like to talk about things we could do for yourself that will okay. help work. Because there are some <laughs> very cool things you said in that okay. that gave me insight into how you could sort of find that, that structure. Okay. So things for myself that, that work. Um, I'm a morning person. That's the mm-hmm. first thing that you need to know about yourself. Are you a morning person or not? Uh, there's, you know, the, the 5am club that people talk about, wake up early and get started. Sounds great for, for the early birds. Not everybody's an early bird. Mm-hmm. I just so happen to be one. So I, I do like to start my day quite early between, you know, five to six, but usually around five 30, I'm up and I'm, I'm rolling. And then my, my days are, are starting with meditation. Now that was, that was the game changer is a non-negotiable meditation. It really is the only non-negotiable part of my day. The rest of it, I can, you know, comes and goes, I stick to it as much as possible, but that that's the thing that changes everything. So I do do my meditations and and we could kind of get into what they look like and how they, they work into this idea of productivity. And the next is uh, remembering that I will always, always overestimate what I do in a day and underestimate what I do in a week. Mm. Is 
is that that little nougat changes everything. Because if mm. you remind yourself that, then in a day, you're always checking in. Like, am I overestimating what I'm going to do today? And am I going to leave a to-do list, list undone, right? Mm -hmm. Weirdly enough, it's, it's better to not leave a to-do list undone and put it off tomorrow. It's better to really pick one thing, right? And, and that's, that's one of the best things I could say. Mm. You want to be productive, pick one thing, that's it, and do that one thing. And once you're done that one thing, then you move on to the other things, right? And that, that comes from a book called The One Thing, right? Really okay. great read. Mm -hmm. uh, and the question is, well, what is that one thing, right? Like, how do I know that one thing I should do? Well, there's a really easy way to tell. When, when you're deciding what to do, uh, think of the thing you want to do least. And that's the thing you do. That's it. Because usually the thing you have the most resistance to is the hardest thing, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to do the hard thing. But the hardest thing usually has the greatest payoff. It's usually the thing that's going to get you closer to your goal, closer to that thing that needs to be done, right? So, and, and that schedule that always happens the night before. Like, mm. I, okay. I will... Like tonight, I'm going to sit down and think, well, what's the one thing I need to do tomorrow to make sure that tomorrow is a successful day? And I'll pick it the night before. And largely the reason I do my night before is I, I let my, my subconscious work on it through the night. Because mm -hmm. when it's the last thing I think about before I go to bed, it's not the thing that keeps me up. But some part of my psyche is already sorting out the steps to do it most, uh, most efficiently. Interesting. Okay. So we can come back to me if you want to, to help me yeah. a little bit. Um, cause I'm definitely somebody like, um, like I even asked my mom last year and I said to her, I was like, this is like, I'm not going to get angry with anything you say, but just like, I I'm somebody who's always tried to kind of focus on my strengths and try to think of weaknesses or really focus on weaknesses. And I just said to her, I was like, what's something you've seen in me as more of a weakness. Cause my mom has always been like focusing on my strengths type person. So she never really mentioned that. And she said to me, she's like, sometimes Christine, you could just finish something. Like I tend to be like, I'll get like 60, 70% of the way. And I'm like, okay, sweet. I've learned enough of that. Or I'm like done with it. And, and I think like I stopped making to-do lists because I never finished them. And then you, and then it's like a hit on my being because then I'm like, almost, I don't want to be somebody who doesn't finish things. I want to like complete tasks and like get things out there. So mm -hmm. that one thing, like, is that's literally all you do is you say, you're going to get one thing done and you make sure you get that thing done. Yeah. Well, well there, there's the one thing and then I okay. give myself two others. Right. Okay. Cause I, I almost always get that one thing done. Okay. So then it's like, what's the one thing I need to do? And there, there's another question we can ask about that. And then there's the, the other things that would, would, also be nice to do. Right. And yeah, it's, it's, it's that one thing. Yeah. Okay. So then how, I guess you, you said pick, pick the thing that you least want to do. Um, yeah. There, there's one more part of it though, okay. which is what's the one thing I could do that nobody else can do. Right. Like say, for example, you're starting a business and, and mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's this podcast. What's the one thing you could do to make this successful? make podcasts like that's your number one thing so at the start of a day what do you have to do to make another podcast is it learn a new skill is it connect with more people is it edit the the stockpile of podcasts you have like mm -hmm. whatever it is that's that's your top priority okay that helped me that helped mm -hmm. me a lot um 
so then I guess coming back to meditation, I cross my fingers when I have a thought that I want to come back to. Um, do you have, so in your morning meditation, you said we can come back to it. Do you have a set kind of that you work through in your meditation? Yep. Yeah. So I start with heart rate variability. Um, years ago, I got certified by HeartMath. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but no. uh, amazing organization. Um, yeah, they do really, really cool stuff, but but it's a form of biofeedback essentially where where you kind of monitor your heart rate and without getting into the, 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 the sciencey part behind it, as it turns out, when your heart is in a coherent state, then you're very open, right? Like your, your unconscious and subconscious minds are more open. You're, you're less resistant to, to any suggestions that you might have or other people might have. And if we were to translate this sort of into that, that whole law of attraction idea is you can't really create your reality or manifest your reality unless you are in an emotionally and physically coherent state, right? Mm. So when people meditate, if we were to take a monk who meditates and check their coherence, you know, you'd say like, start meditating and tell me when you feel like you've dropped into that meditation zone. And the experienced meditator would say now, and if you were to be looking at the biofeedback, it would match perfectly with this level of heart coherence. So I start with 10 minutes of, um, of coherence. And I just do that to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm very much in the, if I'm going to meditate for 10 minutes, I need to know that I'm meditating for 10 minutes and not just mind wandering for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I get myself in this coherent state. That's it. And 10 minutes, 15, maybe if it's a particularly tough morning. And then after that, I switch, I switch into visualization and that that's what I spend the bulk of my time doing. And I think, I think that's, if you're going to do any form of meditation, I think visualization meditation, when we're talking about goal setting and motivation and being productive, right? Uh, not necessarily spiritual insight and, and things, but is it's to visualize. It's just to let your mind work on the task uninhibited, right? Mm -hmm you might be thinking of the things that you need to accomplish and it's how you're best going to accomplish them. What are the steps that you need to do? That's one part of it. But the next is it's like, okay, let's, let's go a year from now. And this is something you and I talked about in the past already is, mm -hmm. is this is something I do often. Mm -hmm. What does a year look like from now? And, and that's, that's a weekly meditation. I'll write it down. Where am I? What does it feel like a year from now? And, and so often when we talk about productivity and, and success, people are, are immediately going to the bank account, right? Like how much money is in the bank account a year from now? Fine. You know, it's a great metric. You know, it, it helps, you know, so long as you have a proper healthy relationship with finances, it's a good metric, but that's not it. It's like, what does it feel like to be the person that I'm working to become? What does it feel like to accomplish the goals I'm attempting to accomplish? And there's a super strange thing that happens when you spend your time visualizing in, in, in this, this future version of yourself is you start acting like it. Hmm. So a lot of the time when you, you sort of read and, and learn about how to manifest your, your reality and create your reality is, is the advice is act like it's already happened. Mm -hmm. But that's so hard to do, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Cause you don't know, like, if 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 it if if I knew how it felt or how to act this way, then I would already be there. So it's like it's the steps are backwards. Step one mm -hmm. is put yourself there emotionally, and then once you're there emotionally for a long enough period of time, then you you start to see okay, well this is how that person acts. You know this is how the future version of me who is successful and who who is accomplished or who is at peace with themselves or who is whatever. Mm 
this is how they would behave. And you can start to behave that way, right? Mm. That's so interesting. I like how you brought that up. So you find like, is that, is that kind of what you're visualizing is like yourself or are you visualizing the tasks you're doing or is it kind of a mix of both depending on which meditation you're doing? Yeah. So the, the daily meditations are oftentimes the tasks, the tasks. It's, you know, there, there's always a task at hand. I mean, like, like you said, I got a, I got a bunch of irons in the fire. Yeah. So there's always a pressing task that requires, you know, steps to be taken and they need to be taken, you know, either timely or in the appropriate manner. So yes, part of it is just how do I do this efficiently? And when you spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes thinking about your day, then you should do it. You just do mm. your day in the steps that you've already thought about versus you're like, okay, I need to go and edit some podcasts or write. I need to, you know, script a new course that I'm working on. If you don't, if you don't actually have the steps, then you're like, well, what do I do first? And then you spend some time kind of getting a snack and spend some time, you know, doing whatever procrastinating. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right, so yes. Yeah. Part of it is just thinking about your day. That's it. Just take 15 minutes and think about your day without any input right? That's one part of visualization. Another part is, is imagining that feeling, right? Like, how does it feel to be this person who has accomplished these things I'm looking at? And it doesn't even have to be a year from now. Mm -hmm. It could be, it could be months from now. It could be a month. It doesn't matter. It's how does it feel to be the person who has accomplished this goal? So you visualize that feeling and it gives you some inspiration, right? And then the last type of visualization, which is one of my favorites, uh, I call them vision walks, right? I, I do it while walking more often than not. You just, you, you take off the limiter and you let the mind go. Just let it do whatever it does. And you don't stop it. You don't say, I shouldn't think about that. You know, this is, this isn't productive. That's not getting me closer to my goal. Nope. You just, if you're going to put anything in your ears for, for music, super quiet and calm. You don't want anything distracting and you just let it go. That's it. Do nothing. Let your mind do what minds do. Don't direct it. Don't focus on the breath. Just play. Hmm. That's so interesting. You say that because I, th I used to do that a lot when I was a kid. Um, and I think I've spent the bulk of like the last decade trying to train my mind and like thinking that I needed to learn how to like meditate better. And I needed to learn how to like do these things better when the last probably month or so, as I've gotten into my podcasting thing, and as I've gotten into more of like all the creativity that's like starting to flow out of me that I really want to like project out into the world. Um, I've noticed that I have to get back into that free mental state where I'm not allowing it I'm not controlling it that it is like I, I spend um, I brought naps back into my life or like kind of naps like I don't necessarily fall asleep, but they're like almost every day I spend probably 20 minutes to an hour depending how I feel on just simple rest and but that rest I find is like a visualized rest where it's just like free flowing mind. And half the time that's when I'll get the questions for the next podcast that I'm listening to, or I'll, um, think up like a really crazy idea that I want to like eventually do. And I'll like jot it down later. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's so interesting how you brought that in. And you said that you do, you tend to do that walking, like, so not yeah. even walking meditation, just walking, just walking. Yeah. Yeah. One, one, a quote I really like from Ryan holiday. He says, um, Walks are not for exercise. Walks are for thinking, right? Mm. So, so it's it's this undirected sort of 
let your mind go. And there, there's some solid, solid science behind that too, right? It, it's, it's like when you start walking, you prime your brain for new. It's like it has to be open and creative because you think evolutionarily when you were walking, you were super vulnerable. So you were, you were looking at the world around you and learning about the world around you, right? So your brain naturally gets primed for, for expansive openness. Uh, you, you remove the fear factor, right? Nothing's going to get you. And suddenly that's it. It's your mind is just ready. It's ready to be open and, and experience. So it's interesting because I think I got in the habit of listening to podcasts when I was walking, but then I would find then I, yeah, like I I've actually had to like cut back on how many podcasts I listen to <laughs> because it was like blocking my own ability to want to create because I was like inputting too much into my thoughts instead of like letting them do the yeah. thing they wanted to do. So are you, are you a podcast listener? Like when do you fit that in? Yeah, I, I am certainly, but much less so. It was the same yeah. way as is like on a normal month, it would if it would be like, you know, 10 audiobooks and however many new podcasts were put out. It was just like nonstop yeah. input. But but you know, then then there's no output. That's it. Right. And and I think that's such a cool time we're at is because there is everybody's putting information out, right? It's mm -hmm. the age of knowledge and information. And on one hand, as, as content creators, that's that's kind of a little bit scary, right? So like, mm -hmm. oh man, where do I fit in? But you do because people are becoming more and more niche, right? It's yeah. your voice and my voice and so-and-so's voice. It's precise for a person. So now the information I take in is super precise, super specific. I found the people that I, I find to be enlightening, uplifting, and informative, and I give them a portion of my time, and that's it. It's once I've received that input, it's like a primer. And that's a good way, because when I go for my walk, I will have a primer. You know, it's like I'll put on a, a you know, a, a 10 minute motivational YouTube, thing, whatever, just to kind of get the juice is flowing, mm -hmm. but then it's off because it's too much input. Mm. That's helped me so much. So earlier I mentioned that I'm somebody who um, I'm understanding my need for structure. Um, but I also find, especially with like creative things, whatever is flowing that day is like, what I need to follow. So if I have like my to-do list of like, I need to get these things done, but then my heart is like, actually, I really want to create this element. Like there's been days that I'm like, okay, hey, I need to edit my podcast and I'll end up working on my website because that's what kind of came. So I started to just make it work on the business and mm -hmm. then like, let it be what's going to flow that day. But then, like you said, the editing portion portion of the podcast is probably the hardest and it's the most like meticulous. And like, so if I don't schedule time for that, I find I don't really get it done. So yeah. how, how do you find, how do you work that in to be like the creative elements, the, the need to get things done elements? Do you just find a balance? The balance finds itself. I know that's a okay. super cliche thing to say, but hear okay. me out here is, is I don't, I don't give myself a choice because it's not just you. It's it's virtually everybody. It's the way our, our our minds work. We are always looking for the path of least resistance. That's what we do. And when you've got a bunch of tasks at hand, you will always do the one that's that's more enjoyable. We love the right. dopamine. We love to feel good. So it's not it's not just you. It's, it's literally everybody. It's yeah. like the 
the, the, the number one killer of entrepreneurs is boredom, right? That's, that's the saying. I can't remember who said it, but because the things that need to be get done, need to get done, they're not exciting. They're not, but they're the ones that have to. So for myself, it's just, it's just not an option, but I'm also mm-hmm. a highly creative individual, right? Like I really like that creative time. So what I find is, is if I just, if I just do it, I just put my head down and get that, that, uh, that, that task done. And there's another book called Eat That Frog, right? I eat the ugliest frog first thing in the morning. And when you eat an ugly frog first thing in the morning, then nothing else that day seems like a problem, right? So I, I do that thing. Then the rest of the day, it's fine. Like then I can work on the creative fun projects and and it just ends up happening and it happens more productively because then say you're working on your website, there's not that tickle in the back of your mind that kind of maybe flicks over to your audio software. And it's like, ah, I should spend a couple minutes and you try and learn something. And then you're like, but the webpage, you know, and you don't yeah. flip back and forth. Then all of a sudden it's creative time. That's all it is, is creative time. So it's like, it's like that structure. It's like the, the rules are the things that give you freedom. And that, that was a game changing bit of wisdom is if you don't have rules, if you don't have structure, it's pure chaos, yeah. right? You, you get nothing done. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with that. And it's like, do you give yourself deadlines for things or do you just, it's like, this is a task that needs to do. And like when things get done, they get done. Cause I've tried giving myself deadlines and then thinking like, maybe I'm somebody who just needs like more pressure to do things. And mm-hmm. that lately hasn't really worked for me either because it's just like, I'm not meeting them. Um, and then it's like this continuous, almost ego hit of like, I don't meet the things in the time that I think I can. Um, how do you work that out? Yeah. So yes, I do. I do. So, so I I plan my weeks, right? Sunday night. That's, that's my weeknight. And, uh, one of the things I do is I give myself like, like the, like the three most important things to do this week, right? Number one, two, three, in the same way that I do per day. And that's my deadline. By the end of this week, I'm going to have, uh, you know, this section of this new course edited and I'm going to prepare for such and such a lecture or whatever Mm -hmm. I do. I give myself deadlines, but there's an art to it and it takes practice. Like to figure out exactly what you can do in a week. Cause remember that thing, right? You will always overestimate what you can do in a week and underestimate what you do in a day is when you kind of shift that balance and you experiment, then you give yourself a realistic deadline. And, uh, and, you know, call it a deadline, call it a goal, right? Either way, maybe, maybe calling it a goal is a bit more mentally satisfactory or satisfying than a deadline. But yes, I do give myself them because it turns out there's this thing called Parkinson's law hmm. and Parkinson's law is, is invariable. And I see it in my students all the time. And, and if, if any of my students listen, then I, I play this game with you. I do it, which is, I will give two types of assignments and see what happens. The one type of assignment I give is an open-ended assignment. You have until the end of the semester to complete this assignment. And maybe it's a 2000 word essay. And then another assignment I will give, and it will be say with the same group of people, but in a different class is I will say, you have a 2000 word essay and it's due in a week. Somehow, it takes either an entire semester or a week to complete that 2000 word essay because Parkinson's law states a task will always expand to consume the amount of time given to it. Right. So you look at your task and you're like, okay, say it's a podcast and you let's, let's jump forward to the point where you're, you're at least semi sort of comfortable with the process of editing podcasts. If you're not there already. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, 
a two hour podcast is going to take me four to six hours to edit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give myself five hours and that's it. And, uh, and then you will sit down and you will do that task. Now, this gets into another productivity trick, our productivity trick, which is called uh, the Pomodoro technique or the tomato technique. Okay. I love it, which is you chunk the task into 25 minute chunks hmm. or 30 minute chunks, but I give myself 25 minutes. So if you know that it's going to take you five hours or so, then that's like, that's, 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 that's 10, that's a, call it 11 Pomodoros, 11 tomatoes. So then in your week, you say, I need to edit this one podcast. It's going to take me 11, 25 minute chunks on Monday. I'm going to do three on Tuesday. I'm going to do three. I went right. And then you give yourself, it's just it's barely any time all of a sudden. And when you sit down, you turn that timer on and everything else is shut off earplugs in. I don't even listen to music when I'm doing it. Cause when I'm, when I'm so Brianne, Brianne and I would call it tomatoing when I'm tomatoing the world gets shut out because if I know like, whew, I've got 25 minutes to get this done. I am hugely productive, hmm. hugely. So, so again, it's, it's a bit, of, it's kind of like an art and a science, right? And was 25 minutes, something you played with that you found out worked for you. Like I know a, um, a coach I worked with for a while, she gives herself 40 minute chunks. Um, so was it just like the sweet spot that you find you can maintain complete focus and then you take a break or. Yeah. Well, 25 minutes is the standard Pomodoro, right? Cause it's, oh, okay. it's, it's a well-known technique. Um, so, so most people struggle at first to hit that 25 minutes. So the way it goes, 25 minutes, take a five minute break, 25 minutes, take a five minute break. What, what I tend to do is I'll do two Pomodoros in a row, just back to back. Okay. Uh, so, you know, call it 50 minutes and then I'll take my five to 10 minute break and then I'll sit down and do another chunk. Okay. But 25 minutes is, is a good place to start because okay. if you can't do it, you shrink it. If you can do it, you expand it. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm somebody who I can, like, I'm almost like a zero in focuser. Like once I actually get myself, I'm the procrastinator, but once I can get myself down to focus, I could lose three hours in a task without even realizing it. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. I am able to finally do that. It just seems to be, and I think it's just a resistance thing. Like I, I've honestly, I've thought a lot about it. And I think some of it is just like, like, just make it, just do it. Like stop yeah. it, like get out of my own freaking head and just get down and do it. Cause once Eat I do- um, once I do, I actually enjoy the editing and I enjoy these things that I like make up in my head as it's going to be such this big task and all these kind of things. Um, so the time, the Pomodoro technique, that's like a thing. So it's 25 minutes, but let's say for me, maybe it is, it is like a full hour that I just set a timer, give myself a break. Um, do you think the time matters or just like, it really is like individual? I think it does matter. Okay. Yes. Yes. I really do think it does. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a few things that we have at play. There's one attention span. So, so that, that, that plays a role when you're getting engaged in the process, right? You kind of have to overcome our, our minuscule and embarrassingly small attention spans. So that's, that's the first thing when it comes to the amount of time. So then when we actually get into the duration is in, in a normal day, everybody's going to have sort of a maximum amount of productivity. There's only going to be a certain amount of thinking and focusing and concentration that you can do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll kind of figure out where your balance is. For myself, I, once I hit the six-hour mark, I'm, I'm mentally done. Like, mm -hmm. I, I got no juice left. Then after that, it's it's brain off creativity mode. It's, you know, go for a walk, do some exercise. Like, there's no thinking. Now, what's important about that is... 
is if you, if you kind of like push through too much, if you say, for example, you sit down and you do two full hours, then, then it's like, let's compare it to going for, for a jog. Let's, and we're going to pretend that we're not all marathon runners here, right? Mm -hmm. Is when you go for a jog, if you want to hit the six kilometer mark and you're not an experienced runner, then if you just run for two kilometers straight or three kilometers straight, you're going to wipe yourself out before you hit Mm. that six kilometer mark, right? So it's like, it feels good because you can sit down and focus for that one hour. But then after doing that two times in a row, maybe three times in a row, you're nowhere near your potential maximum if you had have just taken a little break, right? So those little tiny breaks in between are incredibly important to give you a brief little reset. You're, you're still in the process, right? So in, in between my, my Pomodoro's, in between my, my, for myself, it's called 40 to 50 minute focus modes. I'm not checking my phone, like it's still off. I'm not jumping into the realm of social media. There's no emails, dear God, there's no emails. I usually keep my earplugs in and I'll just go get some water, you know, maybe a little chunk of chocolate, stretch my body a little bit, walk up and down the stairs a couple of times. So I'm still in it. I'm still focused, right? I'm, I'm playing the game of, of concentration, but I'm stepping away. And then when I come back, it's like, it's like I've recharged to a certain extent and then I can keep going, right? So it's that, it's, it's like a little tiny recharge that you need if you really want to sustain that, uh, that amount of focus and energy, right? Interesting. I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that because I think that is what happens to me is I'm about, I get about three on a good working day. I, I'm about you. It's about six hours that then I'm like, I'm at my max. I can't do anymore, but I've definitely noticed like if I, if I, I guess you burn your chunks too fast is basically kind of what you're saying. And then you actually minimize the amount of productivity you could have if you just gave yourself that reset break time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's diminishing returns. Interesting. You, you might be able to focus for those six hours, but those last two hours or that last hour, it's like, was it really worth it? You know, right. yeah, I'm, I'm still focused, but, but am I starting to make mistakes and am I starting to kind of like really feel the pull to go check my, my phone or whatever, you know? Hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. Do you have any other little tips for productivity? What other ways oh. that you do it? Um, write it down and make lists. That's probably okay. the best thing. Make, make checklists. Um, your, your brain is for thinking right? That's what it's for. It's not for holding to-do lists. That's what paper's for. So put it all down. Uh, there's a technique called a brain dump and, yeah. and just every little thing. You ha- and you're going to be so surprised when you do a brain dump, when you write down everything that's on your list, your mental list that you're kind of carting around. It's, it's like, wow, the mental resources that go into keeping track of all of those little tiny things. Make a list. You know, get get a calendar, get a schedule. Yeah. And do you do you physically think there's something in the writing it down versus like typing it out? Not particularly. No. Okay. No. No. I've played with both. Um, I, I kind of bounce in between them. My my brain dump. I like to write on a piece of paper, but my daily to do list I usually put in my phone just to carry it around with me. Right. Hmm. So I want to come back to your visualization of the year, Mark. And you said that you do that every single Sunday. You visualize like a year. Do you visualize like chronologically what the next year is going to look like? Or do you visualize yourself a year from now? What will I feel, look, sense, be 
that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not how to get there. Because the, okay. the weird thing is, is, is how to get there isn't for you to figure out. That, that's not your job. As mm. soon as you start thinking that you're the one who's going to figure out how to get you to where you want to be, things are going to fall apart. I, I'll tell you. And, and if you want to know that this is true, go back in your life and think of every single time you made a plan and how many times you actually fulfilled your long-term plan. It's okay. probably going to be zero right? You know, you're like, I want to go here. You set a direction, you end up in that, in that direction, but it's just like, you always find different ways and means of getting there. So it's like, you figure out the the place you want to be. Life will take you there. Right. It's so no, it's not the step-by-step that's, I figures itself. So then it's, what is it actually? Go ahead. Yeah. No, go. That's fine. So what does it actually look like then a year from now? What does it feel like? Is it changes every week because there's this weird thing that humans do, which is called forecasting. And we suck at it. We're so (laughs) horrible at figuring it out because we can't think past the emotions of the moment. Right. So Mm. one week you're sitting there and you're like, you're all blissed up because you've had a great week. You know, you're getting along well with your partner. You've had some really good interviews. You've eaten well. You've exercised. You're like, this feels great. You imagine a year from now and it's like all heaven and bliss. Right. And then you sit down next week and it's like. You feel like crap because, you know, you, you, you decided to eat a pizza for whatever, you know, and you're just, you're just down and then you do it again. And it's, it's like not as good. Right. So it's, it's like when you sit down and do it, the state you're in today is going to dramatically change how you see yourself a year from now. So the reason I do it every single week is the more times I do this, the more clear it gets is when I get back into that vision, it's like last week I saw myself here. This week I see myself here. The week before I saw myself here, you know, like it's varying until now after doing this for months and months and months, the picture of a year from now is clear. It doesn't matter if I'm in a high or a low. It's a super clear image of how it feels to be a year from now. Does that idea make sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. That's so interesting. So then- So then like now that it's kind of stabilized for you each week, are you basically tapping into the same, roughly the same vision? So it's just like you're putting yourself there so you know what you're working towards. And then, like you said, you let the path of that figure itself out. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's also including what I've learned about myself within that week. Okay. Right. Is when, when you kind of live the life, like, like, like you and I are doing, which is doing like mm-hmm. lots of things, but not overdoing it, right? The difference mm-hmm. between being productive and being busy yeah. is, is really trying to, to squeeze the juice out of life. A week is a long time. Like at the end of a week, you look back and you're like, I've grown. I'm a different mm-hmm. person now that I was in a week. There's a new self-concept I have. So I have to incorporate that into my vision of myself. You know, like, like this week I spent the, the entire week taking another business course. Right. So mm. now I consider myself more, uh, more, more businessly inclined, more of a businessman than I was the week before. So mm-hmm. I have to incorporate that. Well, Okay, now that I've broken this preconception of myself, that was as a, I'm just a simple farm boy. Go back in time. How many times did I say that? You know, now that I've broken another aspect of that and acknowledged the, the, this new capacity within myself, how does that play into my future vision? You know, now that I have, for example, in your case, made X number of podcasts and, and how does that 
play into this future vision of myself. Or now that I have negotiated this super difficult situation with my partner, how does that play? You see what I mean, right? Yeah. So you, you have to keep in mind who you are today and how your emotions are today, which formulates who you're going to be a year from now. And it's always changing. Man, you have you have helped me understand in this moment, like goal setting has never been something I've done very easily. I, I've always just found it really um, difficult. And I did an exercise with my yoga teacher in November where there was this really, I was helping him on a course and a woman was in the course who had been really, um, she's like the CEO, CEO of a really big company or exec. And like, she's just quite successful. And she kind of said, she's like, I've never set goals in my life. She's like, I have a direction and I work towards it. And it was like this, like sinking for me in, in a good way of like, oh, okay. Because I've always been that kind of person. That I'm like, I know roughly where I'm headed. I know kind of the life I see and I visualize. I don't visualize it as often, but I'm going to start. You've really, I, I want to start doing this a bit more. Um, and just like knowing that, that like dropping, I've always tried to like, kind of been like, okay, I need to figure out how. I'm going to get there. But like you just said, like doing that is almost a waste of time. Like it just is, it's not worthwhile. It's, it's a daily activity, right? Okay. Is, is you've got this vision of the person you want to be in the future. Then the question is, is there anything I could do today to get myself there? Right. Because I, 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 I believe, yes, on one hand, life will figure it out, but it's not a passive experience. Life right. is a very active experience. Yeah. So it's not set this, this vision lie back. It's set this vision and work. It's mm. what do I have to do to get myself there today? And then and then you meet the day where it's at. You meet life today instead of figuring out the 300 steps. It's the step you take today or mm -hmm. this week. And have you always been a morning person? Yeah. 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 I think that's a piece I'm also still trying to figure out because like being... I was into yoga for a long time and they always say like 5 a.m. club is the best, like try to do that. But I worked nights um, as a server for so many years. And I was like, as a child, I was not a morning person. I always had to be up early, but I was like, like my family, it was like a rule not to talk to me until like basically the end of school. Um, <laughs> Cause I just like was such a grouch in the morning. And I have this like idea that I want to be this person who gets up in the morning and I go to bed early enough to get up, but I just like, I don't feel rejuvenated. So part of me is wondering if I just need to like drop that idea because it just isn't yeah. who I am. It's worth but trying, right? Like sleep is, sleep is, you want to talk productivity, get your sleep figured out. Step one, right? right? Like, um, so the easiest way to figure out your sleep is what time do you naturally fall asleep? You know, if you go to bed at nine and you still don't fall asleep till 11, you go to bed at 10.30, fall asleep at 11. You know, you go to bed at 12 and you're like, God, I'm tired and you fall asleep in a second. You know, 11 is probably your time. Figuring out your sleep time. When you fall asleep is so much more important than figuring out when you wake up because when you fall asleep determines when you wake up, right? Because right. I mean, by, by 10 at night, I could barely keep my eyes open. And that's, I've been like that forever, right? Mm. When you fall asleep. Okay, now you give yourself Wake up seven hours after you fall asleep. See how you feel. Check in. Do it for a week. Then try eight hours and then try nine hours, right? Average is eight. Most people need eight hours, but mm -hmm. some are okay with seven. Mm -hmm. Figure out the number of hours that you find most ideal for sleeping. And now you got your sleep schedule nailed. Perfect. That's the first thing you do. So then don't care about morning person, night person. It's just like what, what kind of, it's called a chronotype. You know, what chronotype okay. am I? 
And then after you figure that out, the next thing that you need to sort out is when your biological prime time is, which we, again, we all have. And it's not X number of hours after you wake up or before you go to sleep. Everybody's a bit different. For me, between say 10 and 11 a.m., I'm, I'm on fire. Like I, I am so uh, awesome at that point in time. I'm creative and I'm intellectual and I'm articulate and and that's like a prime time for me. So I set my hardest task at that time of the day. I just make sure that time of the day, nobody come near me because I am 100% focused on the most difficult thing I need to do. Because I know that's my time. I got another one that's a little bit later in the day, right? Mm-hmm. So so don't, don't worry about trying to be a morning person or a, a night owl or whatever. It's just figure out what sleep works best for you and then move from there. Okay. So -hmm. then I've heard like, it's basically like set your morning routine and then set your night routine, or maybe, maybe you would actually say do the opposite, set your night routine and that'll help your morning routine. Uh, kind of depends what you mean. I mean, uh, sleep hygiene is, is the, I think probably the first place to start as far as your night routine goes is, uh, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, just make sure that you're getting to bed on time and you're doing your very best to avoid screens and right. any type of uh, emotional or, or intellectual stimulation. So what you do know, you do like, to calm yourself down? Um, so my, my calm down usually starts about an hour before I'm in bed. Okay. Uh, and then it's, it's no, no screen time. I'll mm-hmm. turn it on long enough to turn on the, the thing that I'll listen to, which is just gentle music, whatever it might be. And then I do a nice med- meditation, a visualization. I might read a book. Usually it's a, it's a fiction book, right? Okay. I don't want to, I don't want any input at that time of day. Um, and then, you know, half hour before bed, I will do my, my planning it only takes 10 to 15 minutes. And I, I'm very careful with that because it's easy to get excited, right? Like when you, when you're happy with your life and excited about your life, it's like, I actually just want to do those things now. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's like, okay, here's the things I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I lay the rough draft, if you will, for the next day. And then the next 15 minutes is, you know, have a shower or, you know, just lie down. That's it. Like an hour is not that hard to fill with Mm -hmm. nothing. Um, But it's, it's really doing my best not to have any input. Okay. And so you, and you find reading fiction or reading generally is okay. Like it's not too much input. Not if it's not, if it's fiction. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, Interesting. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fiction fan. I've been okay. reading sci-fi fantasy since the day I could read. I'm pretty sure. So for me, it's, it's just, it's relaxing, you know? Yeah. Cool. I think that's a piece that I missed for a while. I, I got into only reading nonfiction for a long time. And I can't, like, I can't read nonfiction before I go to bed. I spend the whole night thinking about it and it's like, it stops good sleep. Um, Do you find then, do you have a fairly vivid dream world? How is that for you? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, But the interesting thing is I do so much uh, visualization and and there's another aspect of that, um, which is called active imagination. And it's like a, it's like a psychotherapeutic, uh, sort of technique. I do a lot of that as well, sort of outside of the realm of my meditations, that much of the things that would consume my dreams, uh, I kind of process through the act of imagination. Mm. Um, I spent a lot of time researching and understanding dreams, um, um, not only just for myself, but to help with my patients. Uh, so so there's a, they're very, very important, but 
but I think they're so important that I try and adopt other techniques to utilize the information as much as possible. And could you expand on that a little more? Yeah, I know that was a, that was a bit of a, a drop, right? Is a, right. So I guess in order to understand dreams, you have to adopt a, a sort of, I guess, philosophical or theoretical standpoint on dreams. You have to decide that they're either worth looking at and listening to or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's let's go down the, they actually are worth listening to uh, more than not. Okay. Then we need to sort of figure out, well, what's the point of them? Like, why exactly do we dream? And what a, what a big question. Nobody has an answer, right? Doesn't, you can look in all sorts of different books and there's a ton of theories. So now everything we're doing from this point on is recognizing that the reason we dream, the, the description for the reason we dream is theoretical. Mm-hmm. Now, the best theories, the most productive theories, the most constructive theories I've come across come through understanding Jungian archetypal psychology. So the principles behind this is um, when you dream is you are dipping into a a realm of your own consciousness that is outside of your typical ability to perceive, Mm -hmm. right? So you've got sort of the conscious realm. That's what we're doing right now. And we're very, very much in this conscious realm. Uh, And you have to be in order to navigate yourself through, through life. And then you kind of have like the the next level below the conscious realm, which we can dip into. For example, you dipped into it when you described to me the fact that even as a kid, you know, you had a hard time waking up. Mm-hmm. You you jumped into this this world of memory and personal experience, right? And that's essentially the next level down, which we can we can think about it, but we don't. The important part about that is, is that next level down, that personal unconscious, is it largely influences our behavior right? Is, you know, when let's say your, your dad as a kid told you, you know, shut up, stop singing. You've got a terrible voice. I know it's wretched, but let's just, that's a good example because it's easier to conceptualize the bad things than the good. Mm -hmm. You don't sing and you don't even think about it, right? Like you don't, you don't ever think about the fact that your dad told you that you've got a terrible voice. Just when somebody's like sing, you're like, no, I'm okay. I don't really like to sing, you know, make up an excuse. So that's sort of this personal unconscious, it's your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything kind of rests in there and it influences and, and sort of affects your behavior. But then there's another level and that's, that's what in, in Jungian psychology, they call the collective unconscious. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about this realm of the collective unconscious mm-hmm. is a lot of people think the collective unconscious um, sort of in the new age world, they would, they would label it similar to the Akashic records, right? This, this realm of infinite wisdom and knowledge that you can tap into. But, but no, no. I mean, that might exist, right? Who am I to say? But, but within Jungian psychology and archetypal psychology, what it actually means is there are these things that all humans have in common, right? There are these, these characteristics that all of us share. This is part of the reason why when, when I described the experience that happened to me in the desert, you connected to that because that's a universal human experience to be hurting and alone and scared, right? It Mm -hmm. taps into something that you don't need to have experienced to feel it, right? Mm -hmm. That's, That's part of what it means. But what else is kind of in this realm, right? There's, there's what, well, there's the archetypes. That's where they live. There's these, the, you know, the great mother and, and the, the wise old man and the anima and the animus and the shadow. These are words that are, are thrown around a lot. But what do they mean? 
Well, let's use like the anima and the animus, the masculine and feminine within yourself. In, in Chinese medicine, we call it the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. That exists within all of us. And depending on the culture that you grow up in, and, and not just the, the like the country-based culture, but like the family culture as well, is maybe you grew up in a small town um, in wherever, and mm-hmm. men are men, you know, stiff upper lip. Men don't cry. Men, men, dear God, men don't have baths. You know, men, men don't take care of themselves physically and put face masks on, which are amazing. I did my first one a couple of weeks ago. Brianne got me to do it. <laughs> amazing. Right. So you see what I mean? It's like, there's this definition, this cultural definition, and that that's, that's the acculturation process is we adopt these cultural definitions, but inside of you, there's still the feminine aspect. And, and what I mean by feminine aspect is there's this, you know, it's the, the, the more nurturing, caring sort of capacity. Now, what one might think of, if, if one were to be uh, argumentative to this, is like, well, men can be that too. And that's my point. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can, because they within them have these feminine characteristics. Yeah. So you see what I mean by these archetypal characteristics. All right. Now, those archetypal characteristics, there's another way we can conceptualize them that might be a little bit easier to kind of tie this all back into the, the concept of dreams. So most of us are familiar with the, the pantheon of Greek gods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got, you've got your, your, uh, your, your god of war and the god of love and the god of the hunt, right? And all these different gods. And, and when we talk about the gods is we make sacrifices to them. And now what a sacrifice to a God is essentially acknowledging it and being like, Hey, I, I know that you are there, God of war and anger. I know that you are there, God of fertility. I, I acknowledge your existence so much so that I'm going to sacrifice this thing to you. There's much more to sacrifice than that, but let's keep it simple. Now, if we kind of look at what that means psychologically, it's saying, let, let's take gods from outside and bring them in. And that's a weird shift, but they're not outside of you. Let's imagine now that they exist within you. Then it's saying, okay, God of, of anger, I acknowledge you exist in me. The same way that you exist in everybody, like a God can affect everybody. It's like mm-hmm. something that no matter who you are, you can be uh, possessed by or visited by the God of lust, right? The God of anger. And you know exactly what that feels like because you do feel I've lost control. Mm-hmm. We all feel that way. Now, so often in our life, through the process of acculturation, through the process of being the person our family needs us to be, being the person our school needs to be, our work needs us to be, our partner needs us to be, is we, we stop acknowledging the fact that these characteristics exist within us. These gods exist within us. Let's talk about the God of creativity, right? Um, so you've got this, this capacity within you, like we all do, to be infinitely creative. But maybe you grew up in a family that said creativity is, is for dirty hippies. You know, you need to go to school and be a professional. Well, then that part of you gets pushed down more and more and more. And it exists in this realm of the collective unconscious. And when we sleep... That's when the collective unconscious comes out to play, mm. right? So this is when you sort of touch, you, 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 you come into contact with aspects of yourself that you're not allowing to exist for whatever reason. But remember, they're gods, right? They're mm. bigger than you are. They're bigger than all of us. 
they're going to affect you in one way, shape, or form. So a lot of the times in dreams, and these are the big dreams, you know, we all have these silly little dreams throughout the day. Maybe you're like we talked about earlier, kind of figuring out what you're going to do tomorrow. You know, that's one aspect of dreams. But then we have the other dreams. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones you wake up and you're like, what just happened? Right? Those are the dreams I'm talking about. Those are the ones that you listen to because it's those deep archetypal parts of yourself that are talking to you and they're saying, listen, you need to be more creative. You need to, you know, you need to express this part of yourself a little bit more. With me? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. Cool. Because we're going to take it to the next step now. Yeah. Okay. So then when we have these dreams, there's these characters within them, right? And this is this is maybe the most difficult thing to remember about understanding your dreams and using your dreams is every person you dream of isn't that person. Mm-hmm. It's what that person represents. Right. Right. So you don't dream of your dad. You dream of what your father represents. And maybe your father represents tyranny. Maybe your dad represents um, true, unconditional, positive love, you know, whatever, right? Everybody's got a different thing their dad represents. So their dad doesn't necessarily have to be their dad, right? Maybe you dream of, um, you know, a, a uh, an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, right? You're not actually dreaming of them. You're dreaming of the the character, right? Like the, the raw essence of their personality. Maybe they betrayed you. So you're dreaming of this aspect of betrayal. You know, they're, they're representing something. Don't trust this thing. Or maybe they're, they're somebody that you just love so much and they, then you just had to set them free, you know, whatever it might be. So is that idea making sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very much. So then part of understanding your dreams and, and dealing with your dreams is, looking at your dream through this lens of what is what are the gods of myself trying to represent by using the mask of these people I know in my life, these characters I know. And then you can, from there, extract information, right? So do you find, because the piece I found really interesting and like, I've, I've been, so my dream world has been like insane lately. Um, and and I, and I've been trying to look at it, not through the lens of like the human beings, exactly like what you said, but like, what are they representing and that kind of thing. But you mentioned that when you do a lot more visualization, you don't find your dreams are as potent. Is that because within your visualization, you're doing this kind of archetypal work? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So, so one of the, the other things I do is I, I got, um, I'm, I'm a hypnotherapist, right? Okay. And it's not something I talk about a lot because there's a lot of weird connotation behind it. But yeah. the reason I did it is because I needed, I wanted to, and I needed to understand more about this realm of the unconscious. And if you want to understand the realm of the unconscious, that's all hypnotherapy is, is they acknowledge it exists. They acknowledge the richness within it, and they've spent a lot of time developing techniques to access it. So that's, that's part of what I will do is I will drop myself into a state of deep self-hypnosis in which I am hovering in this state between dream and wakefulness and in that realm i can uh just just follow the the dream the waking dream and it's not the same as lucid dreaming right it's it's Mm -hmm. different i can follow it and interact with these dream characters 
and and listen to them and mm-hmm. and learn from them. And what I find is the more I do that, the less I dream. Those impactful, big, you know, like kicker dreams. I still have tons of the whatever dreams, but the really big ones, I have less of them because I'm I'm listening. And because again, that's what dreams, these deep dreams are, these big ones, is your unconscious trying to communicate to you. So if you find another realm of communication, great. Interesting. Man, you've totally... I like this because like podcasts, there's like a huge dissection of the podcast that I have to do after before I can mm-hmm. go edit it because it's like, I want to let it settle. Um, because I found lately, because I'm dreaming so much, like I don't feel rested. It's like my dreams are keeping me okay. awake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to just pop off one hat and put on my doctor of Chinese medicine hat. Okay. Is that cool? Because sure. this is actually a symptom in Chinese medicine. We call it dream disturbed sleep because okay. there is a difference, right? There's a difference between having dreams which uh, fulfill you and, and help guide you and dreams that disturb you. Okay. So that that's that's more of the realm we're into. And it's not a bad thing. It's It's still a form of communication. So let's imagine that when you go to sleep, um, you, uh, you have to hitch a ride into the realm of the dreams, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're going to hitch a ride with, well, call it whatever you want, you know, call it, call it the ferryman. We, in Chinese medicine, we call it the hun, right? But that's it. It's, it's you're essentially hitching a ride because the, the, the dream realm, the spirit realm, this collective unconscious, it's, it's somewhere other than where we are right now. Make it sense? Yeah? Mm-hmm. So you hitch this ride. Now, what happens with dream disturbed sleep is the 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 spirit, the character that you hitch a ride with, has other ideas, right? It's it's like, uh, you know what? We're not going to quite go to the dream realm in the same way you usually do. We're gonna we're gonna go all over the damn place. And it's like it's like you're still hovering in this dream realm, but it's it's uncontrolled because the driver that's taking in there has kind of hijacked the experience. Mm. I know it's kind of a weird analogy, right? But but that's kind of the way we look at it in Chinese medicine. We call it wandering hun. You know, this this spirit of dream and vision is is not anchored in you. Mm. Uh, it's not anchored inside the vessel, right? It's it's all over the damn place. So we we treat it very easily. Yeah. How do you treat it? Uh, herbs. Herbs, herbs are the primary thing. Um, you eat. Um, uh, blood building foods, right? So okay. uh, things, but you know, think of high iron foods, things okay. like that. Yeah. Interesting. Um, more, more density, right? Just think of kind of making yourself not, not way more, but just imagine a greater set of, sense of density, uh, nourish yourself a lot, a lot more nourishing things. Like yeah. almost grounding, like you almost yeah. want to be more physically grounded presence so that That's the it. wandering doesn't happen so much type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and that same aspect of yourself that, goes haywire to create these dream disturbed sleeps. That's the same aspect of yourself that's giving you all these creative ideas during the day, right? right. It's the same spirit. It's the same capacity. Right. It's just, it's like you're, you're, you're fueling that fire to such an extent that, you know, you don't let it simmer down at night. It's just like, I'm going to keep going. Right. So do you find, I know we touched on this once um, a little while ago, you stop eating at a certain time. And that's something I think like I'm kind of a late eater. And then I've wondered if that's like fueling the dream because I'm like, instead of letting my body calm down, um, like I'll eat at like 
and not a ton, like I'll eat like a piece of chocolate or like have like a little treat or something at like nine 30, but then try to go to bed at 10. And it's like, is that something that is unadvised? <laughs> person by person, right? Okay. Like eating before bed is always tricky because um, if you have a big meal before your bed, just physiologically speaking, your digestive right. system doesn't do the same. You know, people think, oh, you know, you rest and digest. You're lying there all night. Your body's got nothing to do. But yeah, no, it's not actually the way it works. Right. Your body's prime time for digestion is when you get your first shot of cortisol in the morning. So that, that's really when you should be doing the majority of digesting. At nighttime, it's about healing. That's what it's for. It's not about digesting. So physiologically speaking, don't have a big meal before bed, mm -hmm. but you know, are you going to have a snack? doesn't matter really. Like okay. for some people, if they have a really hard time sleeping, I say have, have a little bit of carbohydrates before bed. Cause then all of a sudden your body's going to be zapping your energy because carbohydrates do, right. You're going to get this little shot up and then you're going to crash because you need to sleep. So no, eating before beds, I don't, I don't have a big problem with it. Uh, okay. I don't do it myself because right. I, I find I don't fall asleep as easily, but okay. Case by case. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Do you have any last little, um, I might invite you back for more, not might, I probably will invite you back to go into the dream world a little bit more, but I yeah, do yeah. have to kind of call this time wise. Mm -hmm. um, but do you have any other little quick kind of productivity, last little tidbits or anything you want to share with us? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get a journal, get a day planner. Okay. That would be it. Like, like it or not, you think I'm never going to use it. I don't want to be the person who uses it. If you want to be productive, uh, it doesn't matter if you use Google calendar or a physical one, but get one and stick to it. That, that's a game changer. Mm -hmm. I just yeah. recently got the habit tracker journal. Um, nice. and I'm, I have to make a habit of using the journal. Like that's kind of my mm -hmm. first thing. Um, but it, it, I have noticed it already that it's helping me. Um, I, I do a brain dump quite often and just kind of then structure things. And, um, yeah, that it, it definitely right. has helped beyond just a written journal because they're different, but, and I treat them differently, but, um, cool. Thanks so much for all of Gosh, you've given us so much good information today to have to digest. And I will have you back on to maybe dive into the dream world a little bit more, some of the youngin work a little bit more, because I'm quite interested there. Yeah. Um, but to finish, I always do a kind of rapid fire, rapid-ish. It never goes super quick because people have to stall and think about it. So whatever. But it's the idea of it is just kind of quick answer things. Um, yeah, fire away. Cool. So the first one is authenticity is. Hard work. Yeah. Damn right. Okay. Um, <laughs> how would you best describe <laughs> your learning style? Huh. Uh, ravenous. Ravenous. Yeah, I think. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I like it. What is a top or, th or three uh, book recommendations? Current or all time? All time. The Alchemist, mm -hmm. Siddhartha, and Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. um, daily practice or habit? Meditation would be yeah. number one and yeah. journaling. Cool. If you could have any superpower in the world, what would it be? Teleportation. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. that would cut yep. so much time. 
Yeah, and admittedly, I have spent an an unhealthy amount of time thinking about that question. So easy answer. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Um, if your best friend described you in three words, what would they be? Oh my God. <laughs> no, it's not. It would probably be uh, huh. always doing something. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that's very correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then last one is your favorite obscure food choice. Okay. Obscure food choice. I don't know how obscure it is, but dark chocolate with a date. Oh, is that obscure? That sounds delicious. Um, yeah. Obscure is just to get people thinking outside of the usual. Okay. I just use that okay. word. So that I, I actually really want to go have that right now is a dark it's chocolate so and a date. I bet yeah. that sounds yeah. like such a great treat. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jess. And we will well, for sure pleasure. have you on to talk more because you, I know you are a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> so um, yeah, I really appreciate your time and effort in, in making this happen. So yeah. My perfect. pleasure. It was fun. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Raw Podcast as part of the Radically Authentic Wholeness Project. We deeply appreciate you and would love to hear how you're enjoying the show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us an honest review, and share us with your friends and family. By doing this, you contribute to our mission of supporting individuals' pursuit of integrated wholeness and authentic self-expression. Are you interested in a total health transformation with structured and simple nutrition? Welcome to Purium. Their products have completely revolutionized my eating habits, my energy, and the overall way I feel in my body. Their ultimate lifestyle transformation was the most supportive and seamless cleanse I've ever done. And I've tried almost every diet and cleansing fad there is. The ULT is a 30-day program with 10 days of intensive cleansing that you can do either alone or within our community start dates hosted about once every quarter. Within the community cleanses, we also host various workouts and inspirations to foster a holistic lifestyle transformation along with the superfood products. Purium's core for nutrition has become a total game changer for my busy lifestyle to introduce superfood nutrition in a seamless way while supporting my gut microbiome and deep restless sleep in the process. Truthfully, their apothecary juice helped me sleep better than I have in my entire life. So check out the links and the info in the show notes for my personal recommendations or use code RAWPROJECT to get 25% off your purchase to support your health while also supporting the podcast. Please contact me for any questions or to book a free 15-minute health consult through my website or email also listed in the show notes. The Raw Project is currently a single human endeavor, and its productions are purposely raw and curated organically to create a listening experience that traverses my unending curiosity and insatiable desire to understand this divine experience we're all co-creating. I'm Christine Grace, and I wish you a rad-tastic day ahead.